McLean Bible Church, it is good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I am a location pastor at the Arlington uh, location. And welcome everyone here and everyone that is watching online. Uh, before I get into the sermon, I got a couple of quick announcements. First, uh, winter camps for middle school and high school students are coming up. And let, let me tell you guys, these camps are a great opportunity for students to connect with God, build friendships, and actually have a lot of fun as well. And so parents... Definitely want you to make these uh, camps a priority this year. Uh, we'll have buses leaving from our Loudoun, Prince William, and Tyson's locations as well. And so you can sign up your student for this camp online today, online today. So uh, go ahead and check that out uh, when you get a chance. Um, as well, uh, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. And I don't know if you're like me, but I really, really, really want to grow in my prayer life. I want to grow and my dependency on God. And what we really want this 21 days to do is to serve as a foundation of of sorts for the days that come after this 21 days and the weeks and years beyond that as well. And so a couple of things I want to give you. um, We have a lot of resources for you about prayer on our website. Uh, That's mcclainbible.org slash prayer. And then also this Friday, um, we're going to have a a time of prayer here at the Tyson's campus where we pray all night. So we're praying from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. I participated in this before, man, and you uh, do not want to miss that. We're going to fall on our faces, expressing our dependency on God, knowing that we have a God in heaven who turns his ear towards us and he hears our prayer. All right. And so I want to encourage you guys to come out uh, for that. And so actually the text for the sermon today is actually going to cover a particular prayer of Paul in the New Testament. And so if you got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and head uh, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 will be in verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. And while you turn and before we jump in, let me take a moment to pray. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come before you today thankful for your word. And we long for your word to be faithfully followed by all who live in this world. Guys, even this weekend, we remember, Lord, the the, the legacy and the work of Martin Luther King Jr. alongside um, the fact that we're recognizing the sanctity of life in the womb. And we are reminded in that that you have called us to love each other from womb to tomb. You've created us in order to protect life from womb to tomb. And God, we are heartbroken by all the injustices in our world, Father, and we long for you to come and to make these right. But in the midst of that, Father, we thank you for your grace. God, we know for anyone who has harmed the image bearer of yours, we thank you that while no wrongdoing will ever go unpunished, that you are a merciful and gracious God and that you are willing to forgive and transform absolutely anyone who would come to you. So God, we long for you to come. Help us to hear your word today. Help us to respond to it in faith and obedience. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone, I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough to remember what happened on uh, April 11th, uh, 1970, but on that date, Apollo 13 was launched, and the destination that they plugged into the GPS was the moon. However, they had to take a detour. Uh, During some routine maintenance work, there was an explosion on the ship, and instead of making it to the moon, they had to abort the mission. If you were alive during that time, you realized that it was a dangerous situation And it was actually touch and go whether or not they would make it back home. 
As they frantically attempted to make it back to earth, they actually uncovered another problem. They actually were running out of breathable air. And since there are no mechanic shops in space, you can't pull over a space shuttle to get it fixed. They had to fix the issue with common things that they had on board. And they looked around and they saw some common things. They saw duct tape and they saw plastic bags and they had a, a manual there as well. And these astronauts were likely looking at these common things thinking, what can these be used for? And what was amazing is that these wise NASA engineers uh, from back home were able to radio to them and show them how those common items could be used to fix the problem. You see, before those wise NASA engineers stepped in, those astronauts were limited in their understanding about what those common things could be used for. And here's the thing. They were happy when they were shown how those common things had more than one good use. What I want to talk about today, McLean Bible, is that I want to talk about some common things in your life that you are tempted to believe don't have more than one good use. If you are a human being, you have looked at these common things and you have wondered, what is the good use for this? Today, I'm talking about thorns. I'm talking about thorns, and I don't mean physical thorns necessarily. When I'm talking about thorns, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things in your life that make you go, ouch. I'm thinking about experiences and situations that are hard and painful and cause your eyes to brim with tears, and you can't remove them on your own. I'll get even more specific. Today, I'm talking about the grief. Today, I'm talking about the pain. I'm talking about the frustration. I'm talking about the physical ailments. And I actually think, we're not at the text yet, but I actually think in verse 10 of this text, Paul does a great job of giving us some good examples. Today, I'm talking about the hardships, the insults, the persecutions, and the calamities. So we go to God. Ultimately, when we pray, we go to God with a handful of our thorns. I mean, we go to him with all the things that cause, that cause pain in us, that are hard. We lift these up to God, thinking that the only good use that God could possibly have for thorns is to remove it. We think that the only good use that God has for a thorn is to take it. But listen to this question this morning. What if... And all of our praying and asking for God to take away the thorn, what if God decides that it stays? What if in all of our begging for God to take the pain away, that God says, no, I'm going to leave that? And what if that's not because God doesn't care or, God isn't, or, 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 or because God is mean? But hear me out. What if there are other good uses for a thorn than to remove it? Guys, this leads me to the text today. And in this text, I want you to hear from a man who had a thorn in his flesh. He begged for God to take it away. God said no, and it was the best thing that happened to him. And so 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, listen to the word of the Lord. Here it is. Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know of a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard, th he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. 
And on behalf of this man, I will boast, but not on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But then he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is the word of the Lord. You see, in this text, Paul is addressing a church in the town called Corinth. And right now, Paul and this church, they are not on good terms. You see, you could say that the church in Corinth is acting brand new. If you don't know that phrase, it's the phrase that, that, that we use where I come from. The, the term acting brand new is actually a phrase that means this. It means someone that is so enamored by the new places and the new things that they've completely forgotten about the old people and the old places and the old things that made them. And this was Corinth. Corinth has been so enamored by these new teachers that are coming to town. Paul actually planted the church. He loved the church. He left the church to go plant others. And these new teachers came into town. And these new teachers seemed more impressive than Paul. And Paul is writing this letter to defend himself. He's saying, listen, guys, don't push me to the side. Don't disregard me. And no, Paul is not saying this because he's some insecure person that cares so much about what other people think about him. No, he knows that the church in Corinth, that they, that, 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 that they become so enamored by these new teachers that they don't realize that these new teachers are also bringing into town a new false gospel. So Paul is standing up. He's saying, listen, don't, don't, guys, don't listen to them. Listen to me and the true gospel message. And listen, the church at Corinth can't even hear them because they are blinded by the flash. Apparently, these teachers were amazing orators. They had amazing spiritual experiences that they bragged about and they went on and on about. And Paul, the very person that started the church through the work of the Holy Spirit, didn't seem worth listening to anymore. Apparently, Paul wasn't all that impressive. Uh, there are actually clues in his letter that tell us that Paul was not the most amazing orator. Paul also didn't come into town bragging about all his amazing experiences. So to the church at Corinth, Paul seemed incredibly weak. And to them, his weakness seemed like evidence that God wasn't doing much in Paul's life. So this leads us to the text today, and pretty much at the top of this text, Paul is saying, y'all think that these guys are so great because they're bragging about their amazing spiritual experiences, but let me tell you about an experience I had. Sorry, somebody that I know. So look at verse 2. He says this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. See, in that text, Paul says, I went to the third heaven. In ancient thought, it was believed that there were three realms of heaven. First realm was the air around you and the birds above you. The second realm was outer space where the galaxies are. 
And the third place was the very throne room of God. And Paul is straight up saying, I went there. And y'all think about this. We brag about going to Hawaii or meeting like some celebrity. But Paul is saying, I went to heaven and I saw God. This is incredible. However, Paul is saying it in a really sly way. He's saying, listen, I know of a guy because he says outright that he's not bragging about, he's not bragging about his experiences. He'd rather brag about his weaknesses. Look at verse 5. We're going somewhere here. It says, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but not on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Y'all see what he says here. Paul is saying that he was given a weakness, a thorn in the flesh. What does the text say? It says to keep me from becoming conceited. Here's the thing. We don't know exactly what this thorn was. Some people seem to think that it was opposition that Paul experienced in ministry, and he experienced a lot of that. Some think that it was some besetting temptation, or some think that it was some physical ailment. Whatever it is, Paul is saying in this text, I got it so that God can do some work in me. And God seems to be saying with this thorn, Paul, I will not allow the pride that may come from a trip to heaven to keep you from being humble on earth. He's saying, listen, Paul, I'm not going to allow this trip that you took to heaven to, to cause you to lose your humble dependence on me. That trip was not about you. I'm going to use this thorn in order to do some work in you. McLean Bible Church, can I tell you why God might be allowing thorns in your life? Here it is. God will use the thorns in your life to do a transforming work in you. God will use the thorns in your life to do a transforming work in you. McLean Bible Church, one of the reasons why God may allow the things that you don't want in life is to keep you humbly dependent on Him. Have you ever considered that? Hear me. As long as you have it, God is going to use it. His wisdom. It's all about his wisdom. God is using the pain. God is using the tears. God is using the grief. God is using the rejection. He is working all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? And part of what faith is, is believing that God is doing a good work in my life, even when I can't imagine the good that he could be doing. As a kid, I used to play with magnets. I know that's not safe now, but don't judge. It was the 80s. But magnets have poles to them, and if you uh, try to connect the magnets by the same pole, what, is the, what, what, what do the magnets do? The magnets repel, right? And it takes considerable force to hold those two magnets together. Here's the thing. The two ideas that God is good to me and that God might allow suffering in me, it feels like repelling magnets. It is so hard to hold these truths together. And I know for many of you this morning, you are struggling to this morning. You're thinking, God, you are good to me, and yet I've been praying for the spouse to come, and the spouse hasn't come yet. God, you are good to me, and yet I've been praying for the healing to come, and that hasn't happened. I'm still going through it. God, you're good to me, and I've been praying for this person or that person, and I haven't seen you come through for them yet. 
Paul, even in this text, he prays, God, you're good to me, but this thorn is in me. And these two statements are so hard to hold together, but faith is doing just that. Hear me this morning. God has allowed us in this text to see what he's doing in Paul's thorn, so we might see what he might be doing with ours. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Hey, y'all, look at this, and I'm going to ask you a question. Who's responsible for the thorn? Look at the text. Here we see a candidate. We see in the text, it says in, in verse 7, I believe, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So in this, we see the enemy at work. However, it's not that simple because you, remember the purpose of the thorn. The thorn is put in Paul's flesh or allowed in Paul's flesh to, to, to keep him from becoming conceited. That's a good thing. The goal of the thorn was good. And let me tell you, Satan can't be the only one at work here because Satan does not want to do anything good in Paul's life. Let me guarantee you that. Satan wants to destroy Paul. He doesn't want to do anything good. No, what we see here is this. The same thing that Satan desires to use in Paul's life to destroy him, the sovereign God in heaven is using in Paul's life in order, to, uh, in order to transform him. Let me help you. Let me help you with this with an illustration. Listen, I know y'all can look at me. Listen, I ain't been in a fight for 20 years. Last fight I was in was at Oscar Farmer Smith High School in Chesapeake, Virginia. Long story, long story. I won't share it this morning, but I know people who fight. And they showed me uh, some things about certain fighting styles, like jujitsu or judo. And these guys, they fight in a certain way. So if you're in a fight with someone and you're doing judo, your goal is you're not just stopping the opposing force. Like if somebody throws a punch at you, you're not just trying to neutralize it or stop it. What judo does or jujitsu does sometimes is they allow their opponent to give them their best shot. And when their opponent does that, they use all of their force in order to subdue them. They use all of their opponent's force against them. In other ways, it's a way, it's a way of fighting in which you use their force to accomplish your will. I say all of that to say we see something like that happening right here. Listen to me. God is the all-powerful, sovereign, all-wise God of the universe, and Satan is no match for him. He isn't. Satan is a created being, and his power and wisdom is nothing compared to our great God. And here's the thing. Satan uses his little power in order to destroy. And God in his sovereignty, wisdom, and power judos Satan force in order to deliver. So we see it here. The messenger of Satan's only desire, you actually see it in the text, is to torment Paul. It's to destroy Paul. And God uses the thorn to deliver Paul from his pride, to keep Paul close to Jesus. And in that, God is doing the best thing that could ever happen to Paul. God is saying, Paul, I'm going to allow this in your life. But what this is going to do, it ain't going to destroy you. It's going to keep you close to me, the source of all of your joy and happiness, namely me. Let me bring it home to you. He's doing the same thing in your life this morning. 
God is using the thorn to do something in you. Hear me today. If you have the thorn in you, it has sifted through the hands of God. And if our God allows it, he fully intends to use it for something good. As long as you've got it, God is using it. But can I give you some freedom this morning? I know many of you guys, y'all are looking at me, and your arms are still crossed, and you're like, oh, I don't know about that, Eric. Here's the thing. Let me guarantee you, God is using it, but let me give you some freedom. You don't have to like it, and you can ask God to take it. You don't have to like it, and you can ask God to take it. Why do I say that? Because Paul did that. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, it says this. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we see in this text, Paul is begging the Lord, Lord, take it away. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to leave it. Why? It says in the text, my power is made perfect in weakness. Think about it, guys. This whole letter is about Paul defending um, his place in their hearts at the people at Corinth. Because Corinth thinks that weakness is evidence that God is not with Paul. And what does Paul say in this text? Paul says, actually, my weaknesses are evidence that he is with me. Hear me today. Let me bring this home to your neighborhood. In a world that, in which everyone rushes to display its strength, we don't have to hide our weaknesses. In a world in which everyone on TV and social media are rushing to display their wins, we do not have to hide our thorns. Why? Because your weaknesses are not embarrassments to God's power. They're actually platforms to God's power. They really are. Man, and, and, and I love this text. And let me give you, if you take a note, you can write this down. God will use the thorns in your life not only to do a work in you, but he will use the thorns in your life to display his power to sustain you and use you. So I love it. Paul, God uses the thorn not only to do something in Paul, but to do something through Paul. Think about all the churches that were planted, all the people that have trusted and believed in Christ as a result of the ministry of Paul. And through Paul, our God is showing the world, even in our lives, that I can use and sustain and give joy even to those who are hurting and weak right now. I said before, we don't know the specific thorn that Paul had. But if you look at this life, we, we see some worthy candidates. We see the fact that Paul was persecuted. Paul was deserted. We see that Paul had some physical issues he may have. We see that Paul wasn't the best orator. And I love it because God is saying to Paul even here, hey, listen, your thorn may make you weak, but it doesn't make me weak. All weaknesses do, it, it forces you, Paul, to rely on my strength, and I'm always willing to give it. I want to bring it home to you right now, the same with you. Hear me. You might look at me, you might say, yo, Eric, listen, I, I see how God used the thorn in Paul's life. I see that in the text. But how do I know that that same thing is happening with mine? Question for you. Does anyone remember DVDs? 
because some of y'all are like, DVDs are all that I use. I guarantee you. Talk to someone in Gen Z. They're like, what is a DVD? Let me explain it for you. DVD is round, got a little circle in the middle. All right, let me, I'll just keep moving. But if you have a DVD, many times on a DVD, there's included something with the movie, something called a director's commentary. I don't know if you ever watched one of these. A director's commentary, and in it, you see all the same action that you watch in a regular movie. However, you see, you hear the director's voice interpose over the action. And that director, while you're watching the action that you've seen before, that director is, is talking throughout the movie, and he's talking about why he included certain things in the movie, why he did this, why he didn't include that. You're understanding more of what he—you're uh, you understanding more of his intentions, why he included certain things, and you walk away from it with a fuller understanding of all that you saw before in the movie because you heard from the director of the movie. I share all of that to say that in the Bible— what we have in the Bible is the director's commentary for our lives. You see, the same director of the lives that we see represented in Scripture is the very same sovereign director of our lives. His motivations don't change. His character doesn't change. And today, we got to hear a director's commentary. God, in his word, speaks and tells us what he's up to in Paul's thorns. He says, listen, I've left the thorn in Paul in order to do a work in Paul and to use Paul. And since to the same director of Paul's life, it's the same director of our lives, we can know that when we encounter thorns, God is doing the same exact thing. I love this. God is working all things for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose, even when you can't see what he's doing. Can I talk to you right now really quick? I know many of you guys are looking at me, and you're hearing all that I'm saying. This is incredibly hard to rehearse when you're in it. Some of you right now are angry, and you've even stopped trusting God because God hasn't removed the thorn yet. And I get it. I get the feeling. There's a lot of Scripture in the Bible, a lot of different places where people actually scream out to God, expressing their anger, disappointment, and doubts. But here's my concern this morning. Some of you have completely crossed your arms, and the only response that you're willing to accept from God is this. Yes, I'll take the thorn away right now. So what you've done is you've closed yourself off to the complete possibility that God might be doing other good things in your life than taking the thorn immediately. And I'm afraid that you've believed the lie. And here's the lie. You believe that I can't possibly have fullness of joy. I can't possibly have perfect peace. I can't go on, God, unless you take it away right now. And if you keep believing that, listen to me this morning, if you keep having a resistant posture with God, you will miss all the ways that he desires to work far more abundantly than you can ask or think according to his great power towards you. And guys, I I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Here's the thing, you may be wondering this morning, you're like, yo, Eric, you said that this sermon was about prayer and connected to 21 days of prayer. How was it connected to that? Here's what I want to give you. You write this down if you have notes. If there is more than one way for God to use a thorn, there's more than one way for you to pray about a thorn. If there's more than one way for God, our sovereign God in heaven, to use a thorn, There is more than one way for you to pray about one. 
So over the next 21 days and beyond, I want you, it's not, it's not exclusive to this, but I want to invite us to pray three different ways about the thorns that we have in our lives and also for the thorns that other people might have. Here's the first thing I want to give you this morning. Number one, I want you to pray for God to remove thorns. I've already explained that, guys. We can pray for that. In this text, Paul is not wrong for praying for God to remove his thorn. Paul is not a lover of pain. He's not a masochist. None of us are. We don't like pain. And in verse 8, check it out. Paul says, God, I don't like it. Will you take it away? Paul begs God three times to do it. And God clearly and definitively says no. And Paul seems to stop praying the prayer. Why does Paul stop? Because he heard from God. Look at the text. We, we don't know how he heard from God. We don't know if God audibly spoke, or we don't know if an angel floated down. We don't know if it was a vision. We don't know. However, we do know that God definitively spoke, and, God, and Paul didn't stop praying until God spoke. All this to say this. Unless God has spoken to you clearly, as clearly as he did to Paul, about his desire to leave the thorn in, we can keep praying to God to take it out. And so we're going to pray over the next 21 days, y'all. We're going to pray for God to do a powerful work to remove thorns. We're going to pray for God to heal. We're going to pray for God to reconcile relationships. We're going to pray for God to supply needs. We're going to ask God, trusting that he can do all these things in his power and wisdom. Let's seek God in faith. Let's seek God in faith. Here's a brief aside for you, and Ben can come back out. I meet a lot of people who are praying for something, and they think that God is not hearing them because they're not stringing the words together in the right way somehow. Hear me today. God is not waiting for you to pray in the right way for him to answer you. I mean, I think about my, uh, one of my kids. I ain't going to tell you which one, but one of my little kids, man, he got some gangster in him. And let me tell you why. Because half the time, he will walk into the kitchen with us in there, and he will just declare, I want a snack, as if the snack is supposed to magically float out of the refrigerator and magically fall in his hands for him to eat. So in that moment, like any parent would do, we look at him and we say, hey, how do you ask? And then he responds in the appropriate way. Y'all, listen, God is not like me. God is not looking at us in our pain and frustration in our suffering. He see, he's not looking at us in pain, and he's not looking at us saying, but, but, but how do you ask? That's not what he's doing. He's a good father. He knows your needs. And listen, as Romans 8 says, if he can interpret groaning too deep for words, he can hear and respond to your needs however you get it out. So we can pray for God to remove thorns. But let me give you another thing that we can pray for over this time. We can also pray or, or praise God for what he's doing with the thorns. We can praise God for what he's doing with the thorns. I know this is incredibly hard. I know this is incredibly counterintuitive. But here's a question that I've received often. Eric, how exactly do I pray for the thorns? Like it seems like I pray one way for God to remove them. But then I got to pray another way if he's going to leave them in, he wants to do something great with them. How do I know if God's going to remove the thorn or if he wants to do something good with it? Here's the thing. Here's the test. Let me give it to you. Are you ready? 
If you've gotten on your knees and you pray for God to remove the thorns, and if you get up and the thorn is still in, know this, God is doing something good with it. So my question is, when you get up from your knees, do you still have the thorn? As long as the thorn is in, God is doing something good with the thorn. Here's another analogy. I'll give you an analogy of the same kid. Man, my precious boy was born uh, a little over three years ago, and uh, my, 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 when we went to the doctors originally in order for us to do ultrasounds, the doctors expressed that, hey, your son will have some special needs. And that caused my wife and I to drop to our knees to pray for our son's life, to pray for the sovereign and wise and all-powerful God of heaven to heal him. And many of you all joined us in doing that. Many of you all did. And we pray with many of you all, and God has not done that yet. We don't question God's ability to heal. He can do it right now, and we trust God with all of our hearts. But here's the thing. Over time, God has given us another ability. God has allowed us, and we still pray for healing, but God has allowed us, in addition to praying for healing, to take notice of the many good things that God is using my son to accomplish in his life. Man, I look at my son, and I, I just think about the resiliency that God is building in my son, how strong he is, how determined he is, and I think about all the surgeries he's been through, and I think, God, it, it seems apparent that you use that in order to produce this. I think about all the people in our lives who, who've received hard prenatal diagnoses of their own children, and they've received some encouragement because of what we've been through and what my son has been through. And I think about all of that, and I'm reminded of the fact that when you have the thorn, God will use the thorn. God, sometimes we can be so fixated on getting rid of the thorn that we never, ever spend time considering how God might be using it. Hear me today. What does it look like for you to raise your hand in praise with the thorn still in? What might it look like for you to raise your hand in praise with the thorn still in? We're not praising God necessarily for the thorns, but for what God in his wisdom is using the thorns to do. What does it look like over this 21 days to think about what God is doing with the thorns in your life, not in spite of them, but because of them, and praising God for that. But here's the third prayer prop I'm going to give you today. We're also going to ask God to help us endure the thorns, to help us endure the thorns. Here's the thing. I know I gave that second point, but here's the thing. There's some thorns in life that you look at it and you stare at that thing so hard. And you're like, God, I'm done. Like, I can't see any good that you might be doing in this. I can't see it. Let me give you encouragement this morning. Just because you can't find a good reason doesn't mean that there isn't one. Doesn't because, just because you can't find a good reason for the thorn doesn't mean that there isn't one. Here's the thing. I think about Joseph. If you know Joseph, Joseph is a real person in the Old Testament in Genesis. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And when he was sold into slavery, on top of that, additionally, he was tossed in prison. For 13 years, this brother was a slave and a prisoner. And the whole time in that text, the text kept saying the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And when I think about that, that story, I think about Joseph and I wonder, 
Did Joseph always feel that? I wonder if in year one, Joseph said, God, rescue me. And he heard crickets. I wonder in year two, if Joseph heard that, nothing. Year three, year four, year five. Year six, nothing. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping on counting because I know for many of you guys, the reason I'm doing that is because I know for many of you guys, the thorns that you have in your life have been in for at least that long. Listen, it wasn't until year 13 that Joseph was broken out of prison. He arose to become the second person in command in Egypt. He was able to look at his brothers, the very same people that sold him into slavery, and he was able to say what you meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. Hear me this morning. Joseph couldn't see the good use of his thorn in year five, but he saw the good use for it in year 13. And let me bring this on to your neighborhood this year. You may be going through something crushing. You may be going through some pain right now. And you're like, man, I can't see any good use for my thorn in year 2022. But hear me today, as sure as today as today, there's a day that's coming that you will see the good in it. There's a day that's coming. So, guys, we, we look for it in faith. We ask God in the meantime to help us endure the thorns, and we pray knowing that the thorns don't last forever. And you may be looking at me, you say, Eric, okay, cool, Eric, how do you know that? How do you know that the thorns don't last forever? Let me tell you this morning because of Jesus. Listen to me loud and clear. We know that there will be a day that we will experience the removal of our thorns, because there was a day that Jesus accepted a crown of thorns. Hear me. On the cross, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. He was nailed to the tree, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But here's the good news this morning. He did not stay dead. He rose in power, proving that, 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 that his sacrifice was acceptable and that he is victorious over Satan in the grave. He is seated at the right hand of God, and I guarantee you right now, our Savior Jesus Christ is not wearing a crown of thorns. You know what he's wearing? He's wearing a victor's crown. Amen. And hear me today. The thorns did not stay in Jesus, and if you've trusted and believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you can know too that the, that the thorns don't stay. The thorns don't stay. Listen, if you've trusted and believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, there's a day that is coming where you will no longer have the thorns of pain or disability or depression or loss or grief or loneliness. Here's the thing. For those who endure, James 1.12 actually tells us this. For those who endure, it tells us those thorns will be exchanged for a crown. Praise Jesus. So McLean Bible Church, I want to invite you to hold on today. Hold on. If God has not taken the thorn, he's given you the power, he's, he's given you the power to endure the thorn. He's doing something in you and through you with the thorn. Hold on. We'll go home on this. You know what's amazing about those crowns we get in the future? I love this. The text says, for those who endure, we endure, we'll get a crown. But hear me today. You, when you get it, you won't even want it. You know what we'll do? 
We'll throw them at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Listen, there'll be a day when we look at the eyes of our Savior in a world without pain, without thorns, without frustration, without loss, without grief, without disability, without disease. There'll be a day when we look in the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we'll look at him and we'll say, Jesus, you conquered, the, you conquered death. Jesus, you're the one that bore my sin on the cross. Jesus, you're the one that bore me out when those thorns weighed me down. And because of all that, Jesus, you deserve the crown. Let's take a moment of prayer right now. Before we do, here and all of our other locations, this is what I want to ask you to do. If anyone is so bold, I want you to simply, if this is true of you, I want you to raise your hand and just, just to simply admit, I've got a thorn in my life right now, and I want God to take it. Who's that? All the locations. Here's the thing. You may be nervous about raising your hands. Hear me today. Having a thorn in your life does not make you weird. It makes you human. It makes you human. It's normal. And let me ask you to do something. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to bear each other's burdens. So if you see someone around you, keep your hand up. If you see somebody around you with their hands raised, I want you, maybe not touch them because it's crazy in these streets right now, but maybe stretch your hands out to them. And there's no magic in this, but it's simply an act of solidarity. God has placed us in the church so that we don't have to bear thorns alone. We bear each other's burdens. So if someone is raised, I want you to stretch out your hands to them, and I'm going to take a moment to pray for you. All right, let's pray right now. Father, we are thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we praise you even right now for many of us with the thorns still in, knowing that all things work for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose. So, Father, we boldly come before your throne because we know that you are the sovereign and powerful God in the universe, and we know that you can take the thorns away. And so, Father, we pray for that right now. I pray for those under the sound of my voice who are dealing with frustration, who are dealing with loss, who are dealing with grief, who are dealing with debilitating de pain. Father, we pray that you will take it away. We know that you can do it. So we trust you. But Father, I do pray for those who will, who will lift up their heads after they say amen and the thorns remain. So I pray for them, Father. I pray that you allow them the joy of seeing what you might be doing in their lives with those thorns still in. For those who are looking at the thorns in their lives and they're pondering, they're scratching their heads and they're wondering, well, what is a good use for this? At the very least, God, I pray that you will give them the strength and the power to endure. You said in your word, that, you, that your divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, and that includes enduring the things that you allow. So, Father, will you help us? We look, forward to, we look forward to the day when you return, and we will live in a new heavens and a new earth without thorns. We trust you and we love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen, amen.